Amen. Please be seated. Our scripture readings this morning are starting in the Old Testament in the Psalms and then in John, which will be our sermon text. But Psalm 80, verses 8 through 9, says this, speaking to the Lord, you have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root and it filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its boughs. She sent out her boughs to the sea and her branches to the river. Why have you broken down her hedges so that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit? The boar out of the woods uproots it and the wild beast of the field devours it. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see and visit this vine and the vineyard which your right hand has planted and the branch that you made strong for yourself. It is burned with fire, it is cut down, they perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. And then from John chapter 15, this is the Lord speaking. And he says, starting in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, 
that you love one another. Please pray with me. Well, dear Father, um, it is from you that we expect anything good and everything good that, that we will ever receive. And very specifically, we come this morning and ask that you continue to work in this service and now through the preaching of your word. Lord, I ask that what, what I speak is, is not of me at all, for indeed there is nothing good in me that is in my flesh. But Lord, that my words would be from heaven, that by your Spirit I would speak and represent you well today, pleasing you, and that, Lord, we would all hear from you, that you would enable also by your Spirit our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our lives to be changed according to your perfect goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise God. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here worshiping the Lord together. Um, We're going to be in John 15 this morning, as we've just read that passage um, through verse 17. And then, you know, Jesus goes on and he talks about um, the contrast of, you know, the, the believer loving the believer and then the world hating the believer, right, after verse 17 there. But um, already cleansed and expecting fruits, the name of the sermon, it's what I entitled it. Um, and the main point I really want us to, uh, to walk away with this morning is that um, our expectation is not um, fruit in that it's not our responsibility our expectation is just to abide, and then the fruit comes from, from, that, from that obedience in abiding and in remaining in Christ. So let's get into the, the text here. So John 15, 1, if you would turn there, if you have your Bibles with you. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Now, it's speculated that after they left the upper room, because if you see at the, the end of chapter uh, 14, Jesus says, Arise, let us go from here. So, um, so now they're on the move, and, and many say that seeing the, uh, seeing the gates and the, you know, how they're adorned with vines, that Jesus saw them and said, Oh, vines in Israel, you know, vineyard and and." Seeing that, he said to his disciples, I am the true vine. Um, I don't know. But either way, um, what we see here again is that the Lord is contrasting a relationship with him and, and the religion of his day and ours and all days. When Jesus says that he is the true vine, he's saying he is the true source of life. It's not the systems of this world It's not the constructs of the mind of man. Uh, It's Jesus. We don't find a life source in anything except for Him. 
as we read in Psalm 80, and there's other passages in Jeremiah and Hosea and Ezekiel, Isaiah, throughout the Old Testament, we see this picture of Israel um, being the Lord's uh, vineyard with this expectation of fruit. And like we read in Psalm chapter 80, um, the psalmist said that the Lord has called his vine out of Egypt. Um, Now, essentially, and um, in fulfillment, the psalmist is talking about Jesus himself and not just the nation, the physical nation of Israel. When he says that he called his vine out of Egypt, he's talking about Jesus, not just the physical nation or the physical people, um, but God himself, through that nation, was calling out the Messiah, the Chosen One, from Egypt. Um, And then, like it says at the end of Psalm 80, um, or the end of at least the passage we read, that it was God that called his vine out of Egypt, and then it was God that will bring salvation through that vine. And I think that's why it's such a good parallel passage to the Gospel of John here this morning. Um, Isaiah 5 is is one of those passages that talks about... Um, you know, the the vine and the vineyard in Israel. In Isaiah chapter 5, the prophet says that it was man that has messed up. It was not God that messed this up. And actually, if you guys would please turn there with me, back to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5, the prophet says, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. Well, my well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up, he cleared out its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst, and he also made a wine press in it. And so he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And so, um, what we see here is Israel being the vineyard and the vine here, I think we can draw a straight line, well, through Psalm 80 right to John 15, being Jesus Himself. Um, And the fact that, and we'll see this in our passage in the Gospel, the fact that the, the grapes, the fruit, were wild and not what God was desiring in the first place was because these children of God or so they called themselves, were not abiding in Christ. Because remember, it's the same. It's the same thing. Those in the Old Testament, uh, before the coming of Christ, the saints prior to Jesus' ministry, His death, burial, and resurrection, they still had to abide in Christ as well. They just wouldn't say it so succinctly. They wouldn't have such a clear understanding as we do when we can look at the Gospel and see Jesus say this to us. But it's the same thing. One body, one church, one bride. And so, the Lord being the vine and Israel being the branches, and we see Paul talk about this too in Romans, right? When when, um, we're grafted into what was removed as Gentiles. Um, They failed 
to abide, and thus their fruit was bad, and thus they were rejected by God. If we keep reading in verse 3 of Isaiah 5, it says, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it shall be burned. Break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain. No rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And all the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. And then the prophet goes and continues and talks about their um, their sins, their transgressions, and the judgment that will be coming upon the nation of Israel, brought about by God. Um, and then it's so interesting, right? Because we see their we see their fruit. It's not the fruit that God desires, but it's it's fruit of oppression. It's fruit of lies. It's fruit of hearts that are far from God. And then you guys know probably more familiar um, Isaiah chapter six, and that's where the prophet is before the throne of God, and he says, "Here am I, send me." Right? And see those two contrasts between Isaiah five and Isaiah six. You have on the one hand. Um, the nation of Israel failing God with fruit. And then on the other hand, you have the Spirit of God working through His prophet in His presence saying, send me so I can bear the fruit you desire. And then, even in that little side note here, Isaiah didn't see the fruit that we would like to see. Isaiah didn't see a lot of converts. All he saw was people not listening not heeding, not obeying, and yet Isaiah was still pleasing to God just in that heart before God saying, here am I, send me, because it was all out of love, proven by his obedience, you see. So even there in, in the, the Lord's work through the prophet, um, fruit is really just based on relation and it's up to God and it's not based on religion. Imagine if Isaiah was focused on religion. You know, he could probably through intellect and and through, um, you know, planning and um, surmising, you could probably get a lot of people to sign up to, you know, go to his church and I'm a member of this group and, you know, he could lower standards and say, yeah, you guys are good and um, but no, 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 no. It wasn't about religion. It was about true relationship between him and God. So he had fruit that was pleasing to God. So there's a good contrast in Isaiah 5 and 6 with what we're talking about from John 15. So it was, it was man that messed up. It was the nation of Israel that had judgment coming upon them, not God. But also consider this in Isaiah 5 with the with the whole picture of the nation of Israel, the vineyard of God, and so forth, in that it still fell under the purview. It was still subject and submissive. It had to be to Ephesians 1.11, right? Where, for the salvation of His people, God works all things together according to the counsel of His will. 
right? So even in the, the nation of Israel's failure to bring forth the fruit that God was desiring them to bring forth, it was still a part of the big plan and the big picture of God for him to eventually bring forth the fruit that he desired. In that, his vine, which he brought out of Egypt, right, um, would eventually bring forth the Messiah that they and us were to abide in. Let's continue in our passage in the Gospel. So Jesus says he's the true vine. It's not Israel. Today we could say the true vine is not um, Orthodox Presbyterianism. Um, the true vine is not, um, you know, being a Wesleyan or a Methodist. Um, the true vine is not being a Baptist and all their factions and fractures and a lot of Baptists, different stuff. It's not being an independent church, you know. Oh, we're autonomous all by ourselves. We're non-denominational. That's not the true vine. Um, Jesus alone is the true vine, and His Father is the vine dresser, the one that works all things together according to the counsel of His will. Verse 2 says that every branch in me, so we have a third character introduced here, every branch in me, we have the vine, the vine dresser, and now the branch, that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And we know that just from a few verses later in verse 5, the branches are us, are the disciples of Christ, those who are His. We see here that, that Jesus tells us now that there's a purpose and that there's a goal and it's fruit. And it's the fruit that the nation of Israel failed to bring forth. Um, because they strayed from the true vine. And in the progression of Jesus' teaching, we're going to see how that fruit comes about, what our responsibility is, and that what that fruit looks like. Um, so that there's no confusion. And yet, uh, people are either confused or, um, or, sadly, they just ignore these truths. Um, but let God allow clarity in his church. You know, there's a lot of um, uh, misunderstanding because of the, I think, the unfortunate translation to English in this verse in particular, in verse 2. Um, I've heard so many sermons about pruning. Um, you know, even even from pastors who um, had green thumbs themselves I know about pruning. And, you know, God will take away things from your life and in order so that you might bear more fruit. Like, you know, you might have to take these branches off and, you know, you got your shears. I honestly, I don't think that's what it's saying at all. Like, at all, at all. Um, there's two things here. One is, in verse 2, we have the um, takes away every fruit. Or every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And the other um, is the pruning, right? Now, the taking, so taking away and pruning, okay? Those two things, right? The taking away has more of a picture from, from the original language of a lifting up. And the pruning has more of a picture of 
purging and cleansing. So in other words, um, when there is not fruit that is being um, born by uh, the branches, that means they're not in an optimal place to uh, have that fruit produced. Okay. In other words, these branches are believers. They are disciples. They are Christians. Why do we know? How do we know that? Because in the next um, verse, in verse 3, Jesus says, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Okay. So you're already clean, branch. But branch, you're not producing fruit. What I'm going to do, perhaps, remember we have this picture of a vineyard, is perhaps you're too close to the earth. Right? That picture is all through Scripture, isn't it? Scott even referenced it in a prayer, I believe. Do not love this world or the things of this world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. They're not of the Father. And if you love those things, His love isn't in you. So are you too close to this earth? Are you dirty? Is your love elsewhere? Well, the Father will lift you up and put you in a place where the Son can reach you. Great pictures, right? When we, see, when we see the contrast between the physical things of this world brought into the spiritual, the parallels are beautiful. The sun can optimally reach you. There's, there's nothing that is, that is um, inhibiting. There's, there's no obstacles. You are now put in a place where you can optimally receive what you need from the vine so that that fruit can be born. And then when it comes to the pruning, it's not a lopping off. It's not a removing it's a cleaning. How do we know? Because the, the word in verse 3, you are already cleaned, is the same exact word. Same exact word as in verse 2. So if you see verse 2 there, um, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. That word for prune is the exact same as the word in verse 3. You are already clean. So he will clean you so you can bear more fruit. And then he says you are already clean. So the whole goal of the husbandman, of the vine dresser, of your father in heaven, is to make his branches bring forth fruit that glorify him. Okay? That's the whole goal. Um, but here's the thing. It's not just fruit. We saw that from Isaiah. We saw that the nation of Israel was bringing forth fruit, but it's not fruit for fruit's sake. It's got to be specific fruit. And in order for it to please God, it has to come from God. Um, we see that um, when fruit uh, is a goal, um, then, then failure is inevitable. But if fruit alone is a goal, but if if the abiding in Christ is the goal, then the fruit is inevitable. Right. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter seven. And we're going to be here a couple of times. But if you guys um, want to turn, go ahead. But Matthew seven fifteen, the Lord here says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears 
Um, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. So there are distinctions of fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Um, so it's not just fruit for fruit's sake. Um, if you keep going in Matthew chapter 7, we're very familiar with this as well, where the Lord says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, we have people here who uh, prophesy in the Lord's name. They cast out demons in his name. They do many wonders in his name. That sounds like some pretty cool fruit, right? But it's not the right fruit because it was fruit for fruit's sake. It wasn't fruit that came from abiding. Abiding as a branch in the true vine which the Father takes care of. Because those people that said that, they said, well, look at this fruit. You're looking for fruit. Here's my fruit. Jesus says, depart from me. You who practice lawlessness, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. What? But a vine and a branch, that's pretty intimate. You mean you never knew me? Oh, you were never connected to the vine. Wow. But my fruit, not that fruit. See? So it's not fruit that's our goal. That's God's goal. Fruit um, is, is God's responsibility. Verse 2 gives us a look into how the husbandman takes care of his vineyard down to each branch so that we might bear that fruit. Are you not bearing fruit? Well, God will lift you up. God will put you where you need to be. Are you bearing fruit? Well, as we walk in a continual state of self-awareness and um, uh, repentance, continual repentance, a continual cleansing, we will bear more fruit. That's the purging, cleaning idea, which is supposed to replace in our minds the pruning idea. Pruning, eh, get it out of your heads. Cleansing. You don't bear fruit, God will put you where you're going to. You do bear fruit, God's going to make you so that you bear more fruit. Think of this, this is beautiful, right? So, He lifts you up. We need repositioning. Um, If you are at a place where you aren't bearing fruit, I would just say, as James does in 4.10, humble yourselves. Right? Before the Lord. And then what will He do? He will lift you up. Right? And then when it comes to the cleansing, we need that continual cleansing. We see this John seventeen seventeen, a couple of chapters later from our passage this morning where um, the Lord is praying about uh, the work of His church in this world. Do not remove them from this world, even though um, they are going to be in it. Father, work in them so that they are not of it. He says in 1717, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Okay, so that's the continual cleansing so that we might bear more and more fruit. And then as I've said, already clean. What Jesus is saying here in verse 3 as we continue is that we've been justified. We've been made right in God's eyes. We've been given a righteousness 
that is from God himself. We don't have a righteousness of our own. In fact, back to the prophet Isaiah, he says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. If we took our very best, if we took the very best person that ever lived and took his very best act and presented it to God, God would be disgusted with it. So we are already clean by the word that Jesus has spoken. We are justified. But we see here from verses two and three that there's two different cleansings that that apply to the Christian, that apply to the believer. We have one, the cleansing that is unto position. That's verse three. You are already clean by the work I have spoken unto you. So we are positioned in Christ when God looks at his child, he sees His child, I mean like one of us. He sees His Son, Jesus Christ, and His righteousness. It's been granted to us, never to be taken away from us. But there's another cleansing for the Christian, and that is the cleansing in our daily walks. Just like we read the Apostle talk about in the first chapter of his letter. The Apostle John says... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not saying that there needs to be a continual justification. You know, he's saying that there needs to be a continual cleansing. We see this picture a couple of chapters earlier in John chapter 13, right? When Jesus washes the disciples feet and when he gets to Peter and Peter has this wisdom that nobody else had. (laughs) Well, or so he thought. No, no, not me, Lord. Far be it from you. (laughs) Right? Um, And then Jesus says, well, in order to, you know, um, have a part in me, this must happen. And Peter's like, wash everything. All of me. Well, no, Peter, that's not needed. Just your feet. Right? And that's the whole idea of what we also see from what I referenced in 1 John chapter 1. So... We have a cleansing unto position. And then here's the other cleansing, the cleansing unto relationship. And we're going to get into how that is what Jesus is talking about when he's saying, abide in me. So abide. Verse 4. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What does it mean to abide? Another word is remain. But I think the best way to think of it is to have your home in Christ. All of your life. Have Christ be your comfort. Right? Not the world. Not man. Um, you don't want to feel uncomfortable around Jesus. That's indicative of a, a someone who's not remaining, not abiding. They've left. Right? You don't want to be comfortable in the world, right? You cannot serve two masters. You cannot love two. You will hate one, you'll love the other. Again, back to 1 John chapter 2. Find your home in Christ as He has found His home in you and that by the Spirit because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says to abide, to remain, He's saying, do not leave. So here's, here's what we are commanded And everything else is from this command. Everything else coming forward aren't new commands. They're just an explanation of this. Do not leave. And fruit comes when one remains in Christ, just as fruit comes when a a branch remains in a vine. 
taken care of by a vine dresser. And here's an important distinction. Jesus says, bear fruit, not produce fruit. Right? I mean, how often do we try to produce fruit to please God? The minute we do, we're off the mark. But we are to just abide in Christ, and then the fruit will come. Is there absence of fruit in your life? And we'll see, spoiler, spoiler alert, we'll see that the fruit is love. Okay, I know, now you don't have to stay till the end. <laughs> but the fruit is love, okay? If you see an absence of that fruit in your life, um, well, there, there must be questions asked. One, am I going through a time in my life right now where the Father is lifting me up and repositioning me? And, you know, that might be uncomfortable. Um, it's definitely uncomfortable um, when the spirit and the flesh fight against each other and, and in and of ourselves we are pushing against that. Sorry, Pushing against that, right? That's not comfortable. Um, so is the Father repositioning me? If not, then I think of Hebrews chapter 12 because I would align that repositioning to possibly... Not exactly, but possibly, and in some circumstances, coincide with the Father um, chastising those He loves as children to bring them back to holiness. So, so it's not about just producing fruit, it's about bearing fruit. And remember when we were in Matthew chapter 7, we saw the difference. There was fruit that was produced in Matthew 7, wasn't there? The guy that prophesied and cast out demons and did many works, that's fruit but not fruit that was pleasing to God. We need to have two focuses, um, or be aware of two focuses when it comes to fruit. There's the fruit from abiding in Christ, which is about friendship. And then a fruit that is, when, uh, when we're trying to produce fruit, that's just going to lead to failure, like in Matthew 7, when Jesus said, I never knew you. Continuing on, verse 5 and 6, the Lord says, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Very similar language from Isaiah, right? From Isaiah 5. And um, also, we know that John the Baptist speaks with, with similar language about the future ministry of Jesus when he's proclaiming as the forerunner of Christ. Jesus himself uses similar language when it comes to um, the, the wheat being brought into his threshing floor and the, and the chaff and the wheat being um, separated from each other and the chaff being burned. Um, speaking of hell, and we see two things here. We see one that without Christ we can do we can do nothing. Um, and this actually includes abiding as well. Now, verse 6 here is, is um, one of those, like, say what verses <laughs> um, to me. But I'm going to give you guys two options for uh, what it could mean. And then I'll tell you what it definitely doesn't mean. Okay? So verse 6 could mean that either if you're cast out, it could mean that you were never a true branch in the first place, right? This is scriptural because John says they left us because they were never really part of us. Okay? That's one option. 
So if you're a branch and you're cast out because you're not bearing fruit, um, let's see, verse 6, if anyone does not, because um, you're not abiding in Christ, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. That means dried up. Um, so we know that it's possible that Jesus is saying that, um, well, they were never a real branch connected to me in the first place. The other option um, is is like a... Um, I, 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians 2 scenario. Do you guys remember when Paul was um, telling the Corinthians what to do in a case where one of the members of their church was having a relationship with his father's wife? Right? Remember this story? And what happens is they really weren't addressing it. And so Paul tells the Corinthian church to deliver that one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Okay, and so I go from one confusing verse to another, and everyone's like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, well, I think when we bring in 2 Corinthians, when Paul writes his second letter to the Corinthians, he says, okay, now bring him back. Okay? Bring this guy. He's got enough sorrow. He's had enough of a hard time being separated from the body of Christ because they expelled him from fellowship with them because he was not repenting of his sin and his relationship with his father's wife. And so they said, bring him back now. I mean, he suffered enough. And obviously he wanted to come back because they were saying bring him back or Paul was telling them to. So what I think the destruction of the flesh means from Paul's point of view is the destruction and the, the absence of the desire to sin habitually apart from God. You need to be out in the world and separated from the church of God so that you can realize what you're missing. Now, an unbeliever really wouldn't care when it came down to it, right? Be like, oh, the world, this is where I'm comfortable. But a believer who is, who is kicked out of the church, so someone who is truly indwelt with the Spirit of God, will desire that fellowship. Will desire that they be put back in to fellowship with the body of Christ. So either one of those things could be the casting away like if you read at the end of verse 6, it says here, they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Well, perhaps the burning is the burning of the flesh and the burning of the sinful acts and desires and so forth. You know, I honestly don't know. Both of those scenarios on principle are true, but I don't know for sure exactly what Jesus is saying here. But I know what he's not saying. He's not saying that well, if you're cleansed and then you're grafted into the vine as a branch, you've been justified. Um, that's going to be reversed. You're going to be taken out of the vine. You're going to be cast away. You're going to wither. Then you're going to get thrown in the fire and you're going to go to hell. Absolutely, that's not what Jesus is saying. Except some people like make this a big focus, right? Like if you don't abide in Christ, well, then you're going to lose your salvation. Well, I'm sorry. That's not what he's saying. That's absolutely not what he's saying. Um, we know that in Romans chapter 8, at the end of the chapter, beautiful chapter, um, Paul talks about the great faithfulness of God that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He names all of these things and situations and circumstances, everything that could happen in life, like James would say, various trials, right? Just name it. And then at the end of Paul's list, he says, and any created thing. So even our not abiding in Christ, um, that couldn't separate us from the love of God in him. You see, 
Um, God will be faithful to bring back his children to himself. But let's continue. So verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Um, so, so far we see this picture of a vineyard, right? The, the vineyard that God desired in his, his people, his church across the ages, his body, his bride, connected to the vine, taken care of by the father. And then we're told to abide in him. We've already been cleansed. We need to abide. And if we abide and there's that relationship where he is in us and we are in him remaining there, loving it, comfortable there. This is my space. This is what is good. Not bucking against it, not kicking against the goats. Then in that love for God, us to him because of him to us, then we produce fruit. And the goal is fruit. The goal is that love be spread. Little children love one another. That's the goal, not how we define it, how God showed it himself. Love as I have loved, Jesus said. And if you're not producing fruit and you're a branch in the vine, God will put you where you will produce fruit. And then once you do produce fruit, God will keep you in that place where you can produce more. And it's all unto the glory of God, the father. And we see here now we got more details that. If we are in him and his words are in us, then we will ask what we desire and it shall be done for you. And the first thing I thought of was Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Right. And so it's not about my heart in in my flesh as I'm in this world and and not abiding in Christ. And, you know, oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Right. That's I mean, what a horrible idea. It's not just about asking God for something. Right. It's about asking God in Jesus's name as you abide in him, as you delight yourself in the Lord then he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, what your heart is desiring in your delight for God came from God, and then you will ask of him and he will grant it to you. Again, like the apostle says in his epistle, his first, first John chapter five. If we ask according to his will, we know that he hears us and then he will grant according to what we ask because it's his will. So find your delight in abiding in Jesus. So what does this look like? Here's the here's the deeper explanation. It's the inseparability of the word of God and the word of God. And we all know these fun little sayings, right? Um, Seven days not in the word makes one week. (laughs) Right. Or, you know, my my Bible will keep me from sin and sin will keep me from my Bible. Right. You know, the, there is this inseparability between the Word of God, Jesus Christ, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. I think I did that out of order. And then the Word of God, the Scriptures. You cannot have one without the other. Jesus is saying, do you think that you're a healthy branch? Well, are you, are you in the Word? Are you under its preaching? Are you in it? In your personal time, throughout the day, is there meditation? Do you, do you seek out the truth of the Word of God for your life? That is 
connected to abiding in him. And if you're not in the word of God, the scriptures, then I'm sorry, you are not in the word of God, his son. There is no other way. There's no other way. So verse 8, Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. Um, Again, the Father is not glorified by fruit, but specific fruit with a specific people, those who are already cleansed, from a specific manner, those who are abiding in Christ. Disciples abide. Fruit comes. God is glorified. That's the order that Jesus is explaining here. And then we see what this fruit is, you guys, in verse 9 and wrapping up. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Love is the fruit that God is looking for. And we see things on different levels, right? We see, we see a correlation to Galatians 5, which was our confession of sin and, and our assurance of pardon. The fruit of the Spirit is love, right? That's singular. We have the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And I think when Paul goes on to continue in that list in Galatians 5, now he's talking about the fruit of love. That's fair, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then what does love look like? And joy and peace and so forth. That's love, right? We also know that Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians what love looks like and, and what happens when we have fruit produced by religion without love. Well, it's meaningless. You're back to a Matthew 7 situation where, Lord, didn't I prophesy and cast out demons and do many works and I never knew you? Jesus said. So the fruit that comes from abiding that God wants in abundance, that He will do whatever it takes that we bear it, is love. And what is our standard for that? It's Jesus Himself. Greater love has no one than this than that He laid down His life for His friends. And guys, if you recall Pastor talking about this last week and in, in the Lord telling us that we are to take up our cross and follow Him, Right, if we are to be his disciples. If we are to follow Jesus' example, what we need to do is not draw lines. Jesus didn't draw lines. I love you, but that that's a little too far. That's a line I'm not willing to cross. Right? That is very unchristian love. That that is so fleshly. That's so selfish. I will do this for you, um, but actually, I need to rearrange the terms. Right? Well, then you're not going to do it for me. Right? And when it comes to the cross, 
being willing to, to let anything go and anything die, it's not just for that sake, not so you carry a cross around. It's for the specific good of someone else in the will of God. Following the example of Christ. Jesus didn't, didn't just go die on the cross. He did it with a very specific purpose that he might have his bride for himself for all eternity. And if we're to follow in his footsteps and, the, and that's to be the fruit that God's looking for, then we need to be those who are, you know, when people think of us, they, they think of sacrifice for each other, for each other's good. I will relinquish what I think are my rights. I will give up what I think I need for me and I will lay it down. I don't care how important it is for you. You. Can we all say that for you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, especially of this family, but, but not excluding the rest of the church? Right? That's the love and the fruit that proves that we are His disciples. So if we have those thoughts of, man, I'd, I'd do a lot for you, but I wouldn't do fill in the blank, we need to, we need to repent. That is not a Christ-like love. Um, nor is it Christ-like to try to take advantage of someone either. Um, there's another side to that. Um, there is, there's two sides to that. In, in an unhealthy fellowship, I could, I could see unhealthy believers you know, twisting Scripture <laughs> and saying, oh, so... Jesus said, if, uh, if I ask for your cloak, you've got to give it to me. That's a really nice new jacket you've got on there. Right? No. That's taking things to the other extreme. So. so we are to remain in Christ, and we'll end it here, you guys, um, with two points. One, if we are to be as Jesus in our sacrificial love for each other, then we need to pay close attention to verse 10. And Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Here's the key. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So we're to abide in Christ, obeying Him as He abides in the Father, obeying Him only by the Holy Spirit of God. Two verses, John 5.19, John 12.49, and there's more in the Gospel of John that indicate that Jesus did nothing and said nothing except by His Father's guidance and communication. In other words, if we think that Jesus was successful, lived a, a pleasing life to the Father, because, well, yeah, He was God, then we need to think again. Now, Jesus did not lose his divinity in any way when we think of Philippians chapter 2, and he emptied himself and so forth. He, he remained fully God, but as God, he was also fully man, and he obeyed everything the Father did by the Holy Spirit of God. Remember when Jesus came out of the water when he was baptized, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and the Father spoke from heaven? It was after the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus that he essentially started and, and, and completed his earthly, what we would call public ministry by the Spirit of God. 
And he, he never relied on his divinity in and of himself as a, a separate person in the Godhead to do these things. Otherwise, he would say, I'm God. This is what I did. You need to do the same thing. And we'd be like, but I'm not God. Jesus said, I did everything as the Father relayed to me, filled with the Holy Spirit, and you shall too. I laid down my life. I emptied myself and traversed a distance that is incomparable to what anyone could ever traverse. From from heaven to being a worm and not a man. On the cross, my blood shed. Not for my sins, but for yours. And Jesus says, I want you to do the same thing. Well, we can and we shall by the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that lived in Him. And so, that's what I'll leave us with. By the power of God, we need to obey God. And we need to, as Paul said, let this mind be in you, that which was also in Christ Jesus. In his sacrifice, in his his humility, for the sake of others, for the glory of God. Okay? So so may God do that work in us. Amen. So that the world will see our love for one another and know that we are truly his. So let's pray. Oh dear dear Lord. Um, please, please bring about in this fellowship and in the lives of these, your dear children, um, the same love that is between uh, you and your son, uh, the same love that he showed for us laying his life down. Lord, that, that we truly would bring you much glory, abiding in you and you bringing forth that fruit for us to bear like trees planted by the rivers of water. The fruit coming in its season when you desire it too, because you are a good vine dresser. We entrust ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.